Welcome back to Snap Judgment from WNYC, the transcendent episode. My name is Glenn Washington. Now, we're about to take you on a trip. It is not exotic. It's not a faraway land. It's not even hard to find, but it is special. We're going to the Cadillac Hotel, a single-room occupancy hotel in San Francisco's Skid Row, a neighborhood called the Tenderloin. The Cadillac was built just after the 1906 earthquake. In the early days, it was a glamorous way station for visitors looking to dance, to listen to jazz, to gamble. Over the years, though, the neighborhood changed, and so did the Cadillac. Now, when people come to the hotel, they tend not to leave. Our story starts when one of the Cadillac's residents, Monica Santiago, she finally makes it out. Just not alive. Step judgment. I went there on a Sunday, and she was, she was alive and kicking, and then I went there Thursday, and she had died Wednesday. And nobody had alerted you? Nobody alerted me, no. And so I lost, I lost track of her. Hetty and Monica had been side by side for a long time. They were partners for 13 years, best friends for most of their lives. But when Monica was only 54, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And last time I seen her, I climbed in bed with her. She said, come up here and watch TV with me. And um, we were watching cartoons, singing with the cartoons. And And then how many days later was it that you found out she died? Just a couple of days, or just two days. And so you walked in and you asked to see her and what did the nurse say? She passed away. I asked her what happened. What happens to the body? And I didn't want her in the morgue. I did. It just gives me the creeps. The morgue. They weren't supposed to tell me anything. You're not. You're not a relative. You're not power of attorney, and you're not next of kin. Same thing over and over. Monica had promised that they'd grow old together, but she knew this day would come. As her cancer progressed, she started talking about the end and what would happen after it. She and Hetty walked along the San Francisco Bay near Fisherman's Wharf. We went out there one time when they were um, setting off uh, the fireworks. And we could see them from there. And she said, that would be a really nice place to have your ashes scattered because you could see the, the fireworks all the time. So when Hetty showed up at the hospice where Monica spent her final weeks and found out that Monica had died, she knew what she had to do. Get Monica cremated just like she'd wanted. Hetty asked, what have you done with Monica's body? Well, they don't, they don't want to tell you. Who are you? You know, like somebody's going to want to know where she is that doesn't love her. You know, come on. I just want to see her dead body. You know, come on. That's stupid. The lady at the hospice wouldn't give up a thing. First, she said she wasn't authorized to talk to Hetty. Then she said she didn't even have the information. From then on... Hetty's mission was to find Monica's body and get the money together to have it cremated. See, Hetty and Monica's lives weren't constructed like most middle and upper class lives, which meant Monica's death also didn't go down in the normal, next of kin, last will and testament kind of way. Instead, her body got stuck in a grim kind of limbo. No one knew where it was. What little family she had was far away. What little money she had wasn't enough to cover final arrangements. All that she owned was left in a small room at a place called the Cadillac Hotel. Before she died, Monica had told Hetty it would cost 250 bucks to get her cremated. 
I told her I get the money. I told her don't worry about it, because she she went rather quickly and um, and she said, you know, just take my last check and do it, you know. And I said, I don't I don't think they're gonna give us your last check, Monica. You know. Hetty and Monica had lived for years in separate rooms at the Cadillac, a residential hotel in San Francisco, kind of a cross between a boarding house and a flop house. Like a lot of people who live at the Cadillac, they had the bad luck of being poor and everything that goes with it. Addiction, illness, general down and outness. Okay. That's it. Oh, yeah, At the monthly bingo game in the hotel lobby, news of Monica's death is spreading. It sort of hangs in the air. Bingo. bingo. Uh, you got bingo, Mary? I think so. Mary, you did it. Mary reluctantly claims her prize. She's still reeling about Monica. I'm sad because Monica died. She was nice to me. Yeah. On a piece of printer paper posted near the elevator, next to two white candles, there's a sign that says, Rest in peace, Monica Santiago. It has a picture of Monica, drinking a bottle of Corona. We walked by earlier, they didn't have her picture up, and I didn't know her name. Hetty's in Monica's room, sorting through the stuff she left behind deciding what to keep and what she might be able to sell. She loads up a handcart of things she's willing to part with, rolls it downstairs and out onto the sidewalk. Yeah, I figured two bucks a drawer, you could have the whole drawer for two bucks. You know, it's got batteries in it, it's got uh, uh, pens and markers, and, and, and then this one's $2 too. Eddie lines everything up on Eddie Street, right out in front of the Cadillac. There are blenders, drills, wall hangings, there's a box filled with fedoras and newsboy caps. People coming in and out of the hotel stop to look. Is this a yard sale? Yeah, it's a yard sale. So it's a Monica sale. This is Hetty's chance to raise the 250 bucks to pay for Monica's cremation, if she ever finds her body. Monica, that's why this reminds me of Monica. But look at all of her paints. <laughs> I'll take her paint. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, I will. Right? Monica, okay. Monica painting. And paintbrushes. There were things stuff. about Monica that were so, she was so. You can was, hold it like that. Oh, yeah, she was so, she was so butch. <laughs> she was being a lesbian. That's just, that she made me feel like Marilyn Monroe when I first met her. I jumped on her lap and said, hi, honey. You're so I got this way. <laughs> but I know I the delicate way. Monica. Through this way here. Mona, I want yeah. Ma, Momo back. I want my Momo back. <laughs> the girls, right? They used to call yeah. us the girls. Oh. Lots of people look and talk and remember Monica. But nobody really buys anything. Yeah, I see a lot of stuff that I, if only I had, could get it, but I can't afford it. <laughs> in this neighborhood, the Tenderloin, everyone's in more or less the same position. I ain't got no money. It's the end of the month. So most of people that get checks or Social Security or whatever, around about this time of the month, the last week of the month, we all broke, more or less. We count pennies. Nickels and dimes, if we got them. <laughs> Hetty only manages to sell one hat and a brass unicorn before a fight erupts on the corner. It's a regular day to sing along. You know, there's always some fussing and there's some fighting. And every so often, you might get a stabbing and a gunshot or something. <laughs> Every so often, not all the time. I'm getting the hell out of the streets, man. Who knows? Hetty made only a couple bucks from the sale. 
After a few days, she started just handing stuff off to people in the hotel for free. That's why she wouldn't give away any of her clothes. She didn't want to see them on other people. But I'll enjoy seeing them on other people. <laughs> and whatever stuff was left in Monica's room after that, Hetty crammed into her own. This is hers. This is hers. I got all these little boxes and stuff of our jewelries and then stuff she used to like to put together, watches and stuff. Back in the 80s, Hetty was married to a guy named Louie. And Monica was Louie's best friend from growing up in New York. That's how the girls met. Hetty's husband, Louie, invited Monica to come stay in San Francisco. In walks this dyke. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Thank you. <laughs> it was love at first sight. Mm-hmm. She was wearing pigskin boots. She was all dressed in white. She had uh, that Puerto Rican skin of hers. You know, she was lovely. Monica was a force of personality. Sharp dressing, no BS, fiercely loyal to people she liked, just fierce to people she didn't. Hetty and Louie were both infatuated with her. Louie told Monica she had to choose between the two of them. And, and she's like, can I just stay home with you? And I said, sure, you know, and, and I kept her. I kept her here. And then you guys lived together for a long time. Huh? 13 years. Yeah, we moved down to L.A. We moved to Chicago. Me and her went to Chicago. They were barely 20. They became adventurers, drifters. They bounced from odd job to odd job and state to state, living in hotels just like the Cadillac. Our feet didn't hit the ground for very long. I mean, we got picked up right out of L.A., and we were in Kansas in no time, you know. And um, then we hitchhiked out of Kansas, and uh, we were on our way to New York. They had lots of hustles, fixing up old motels, delivering cars hundreds of miles for small fees. They also had problems over the years. Monica's mental illness, Hetty's HIV, a tendency to overdo it on drugs. But wherever they were, they made it work. We never fought or anything crazy like that. I met so many crazy people in this city, you know, and she, she just wasn't crazy. You know, she was crazy, crazy nuts crazy, but but she wasn't crazy. She never pulled nothing on you, you know, stupid. We never talked bad about each other or, or you know, stole from each other or anything like that. We never even thought of that, you know. I love Monica. She loved me. Once she moved to hospice, the end came fast for Monica. But Hetty was there every couple of days by her side. She was so brave. I had bought her a, <laughs> this pillow that Edgar had bought two of them. Edgar was an old friend of theirs in the Cadillac. It's a $300 pillow from Macy's. And he bought them for like Five bucks a piece. This guy had stole them, I guess, from Macy's out front, but it still had the price tag on it and everything. It was it's beautiful pillow, and uh, um, so I said, "We'll give one to Monica." Hetty took it with her to the hospice. It was the only thing she could think to bring. Because what do you give a girl that has nothing? You know, that doesn't need anything, right? You give her comfort, right? Now. None of the nurses that saw Hetty at the hospice, day in and day out, will tell her where Monica's body's gone. So she's stuck in this bureaucratic no-man's land. I'm putting up candles every day, every day. Putting up candles. I love candles. 
Puerto Ricans have this thing for seven days after they die. They, they pray for seven days. I went back to the hospice looking for that person that's going to tell me something. I wanted to know where she was. I wanted to know. I needed to know. And they told me I had to come back when that lady was there or that guy was there. They gave me a number and I called back. She called again and again. She got mixed messages. Sometimes the person who knew what happened to Monica wasn't available. Other times, the people on the phone said they weren't allowed to talk to Hetty, even though she'd been taking care of Monica this whole time. I called the office a couple of times. I texted him. I got on the computer and I tried to email him. And no answer. The system sucks. The system's got to be changed. Something's got to change. Hetty says that Monica had sort of worried about this happening. As her last days approached, Monica's idea of having her ashes scattered at Fisherman's Wharf became all tangled up in logistical concerns. She was scared that she'd be buried with other poor people in a single grave. She's like, what, what's going to happen to me, you know, after I'm dead? And I said, well, we're going to do what we said we're going to do. We're going to spread our ashes. And she said, okay. And I said, but we got to figure out what they do with you when you die. Now reality is starting to look a lot like Monica's worst-case scenario. Hetty's worried, too. Because I fear that. I fear that, you know, being someplace that I don't want to be when I die. That fear is especially hard to get away from here in the Tenderloin. In this neighborhood, death is a fact of life. It's out on the streets. Just up the block from the Cadillac, a guy named Demo was stabbed in front of a bodega called TNL Smoke Shop. A teacher and a group of school kids walk past a little shrine for Demo, a milk crate surrounded by votive candles and bouquets of flowers. On top of the crate are a couple ferns, a farewell card, a soggy pack of Newports, and a big smiley face balloon just bouncing in the rain. In the lobby of the Cadillac, the benches and chairs have all been moved to the side. There's an altar set up with a little gong, incense, candles. Otherwise, the hotel's business as usual. The doorbell rings at the front gate. People run up and down the stairs. So we've gathered here today to celebrate the life and mourn the death of Monica Santiago. The chaplain has never met Monica. He travels from hotel to hotel, performing death rituals for people he knows nothing about. The services usually take place in the hotel lobbies. The chaplain says he likes celebrating the sacred in the midst of chaos. Monica, the great mystery we all face is no mystery to you now. There are maybe 15 people at Monica's service. Noticeably, Hetty isn't one of them. I just can't believe that somebody can go that fast. When I came to the Cadillac, I think it was the first meal, I don't know what meal it was that we had. And I saw Mo, and she was drunk. <laughs> and she kind of staggered across the lobby. And I thought, I have to meet this person. I just instantly knew I had to know her, because she was, she kind of had this style. She and her neighbor, that Daryl, remember Daryl? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So they were both, yeah. they were the best dressed two people of the Cadillac. Yeah, she had New York style. She did. She, she was straightforward. I mean, she didn't mince her words. Mm -hmm. No. Don't you tell no me. political correctness there. Oh, no, no, baby. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Remember two years ago, she 
she almost died of pneumonia and she woke up in Seton Medical Center, didn't know where she was, ripped the IVs out. Oh. <laughs> well, in the hospital, she tried to climb out the window. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. After the service, the hotel managers hand out cookies, and the chaplain plays one of Monica's favorite songs. Tonight, so you smell me in a few days. No, I'm fine. The guys from rooms 410 and 243 joke around. They, they smell people here before they find them. <laughs> it's true, they do. They find dead people by the smell of them. Well, it happens on your floor. I'm not awful. Well, listen. Hetty couldn't bring herself to attend the memorial service. They were having the eulogy downstairs. I didn't really want to go downstairs. She stayed in her room, anxious. It's a horrible day. And made one more phone call to the hospice. They got sick of hearing me call. They just got sick of hearing me call. And I talked to the right person. I talked to the right person. Finally. It was a new person that I hadn't talked to before. She broke him down, and they put her through. I got a hold of the guy. What the guy at the hospice told Hetty was something completely unexpected. In all her wandering mental loops, she'd never even dreamt it up. He said that she had contributed her body to science. It was a last-minute decision. The whole time Hetty was looking for Monica... She had gone to Stanford. She was in Stanford. They were going to study her for cancer and this and that. She got to do that because we didn't think we would be able to do that. You know, because me with AIDS and her with cancer, we didn't think we were going to be able to do that. So that was really cool. We said we were going to do ashes because we didn't think they'd need our bodies for anything because they're so doped up. And, you know, we just, our bodies are beat, you know. We figured nobody would want them. She's where she wanted to be, you know, and better place than where we thought she was going to be. But I wouldn't have let her be any place bad. Since her body was given to science, a place where you would kind of go and honor her. I keep going back to her room. It smells like her. I like the way people smell, you know, that are close to me. Brings them close to me. The hospice passed Monica's body along to Stanford University. Her empty room, 2.30, will get passed along soon, too. The hotel manager, a woman named Magali, is waiting to rent it out again. Magali chased me yesterday. She wanted me to... She said, ready to give up the room. I said, yeah, I've got almost everything given away down there. She said, give me a couple more days. And she said, okay. Because it smells like her down there, you know. What did Monica smell like? No, she smelled like patchouli. I got some of her perfume in my bag. I was the first thing I took out of her room. Patchouli. That's what she smells like. Big love and thanks to Hetty Torres and all the residents and staff of the Cadillac Hotel for sharing your story with Snap. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Original scoring by Renzo Gorio. That piece was produced by Parker Yesko with assistance from Anna Sussman. 
It's about that time. And yes, I know, I know. But you don't have to miss me because there are hours of amazing Snap Judgment storytelling available for your listening pleasure. Right now, get some on Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud. Snap was produced by the team that has already been where you're trying to go. Don't hold back the love for the Uber producer, Mark Ristich. Pat Masini Miller is this close to enlightenment. Anna, Third Eye Sussman, Three Days and Three Nights with Joe Rosenberg, Eliza in the Beginning, Smith, Adiza, Universal Life Force, Egan, Liz, Past Life, Mac, Renzo, Other Side, Gorio, Leon Morimoto knows only you can prevent forest fires. Nancy, Mother, Earth, Lopez, the Druid, Teo Ducat, and Jasmine Aguilera. She doesn't go for all that mumbo jumbo. And even though this is not the news, no way is this the news. In fact, you could learn a breathing technique that would keep you warm in the most bitter conditions only to discover it is cold outside now. All that could happen to you still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is WNYC. Thank you.